Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Side Hustles and Stuff podcast, episode 16. My name is Yuri, and I'm joined by Keishi. Hey, Yuri, how are you? I'm pretty hot today because it's pretty hot outside. How about you? Yeah, same here. It's crazy. I, I've I've been going on a walk at like 6, 6.30 a.m. for the last four days. Um, I, I used to go at like 4 p.m., but it's it's impossible to go out at the time and walk. Well, here's a question for you. How are you able to wake up that early? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. Four days ago, I just somehow randomly woke up at six and I had nothing to do. So I was like, oh, I'm going to take a walk because I haven't been on a walk for, for the previous few days because it's been so hot. And then I went for a walk and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. So the next day I just set up the alarm hmm. and I managed to wake up. And the following day, I, it, it was Saturday. So I, in, instead of waking up at like 5.55, I woke up at 6.15 and today is Sunday. So I woke up at 6.30, but, hmm. but still managed to put in my one hour morning walk. Wait, so when you hear the alarm clock, are you struggling to get out of bed or is it just like a natural, oh, okay, it's time to go? It, it depends. It's, sometimes it's a lot of struggle. Other times it's, I'm half awake at that point anyways. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes it's a struggle. It, it takes like a couple of 10 minutes snoozes to, <laughs> to actually force myself out. Oh, the struggle is real. <laughs> All right. So what are we talking about? Well, actually, before we talk about the important stuff, we have to in this very hot summer, stay hydrated. So the next question is, what are you drinking? Thanks for asking. I, fo- I thought you forgot to ask that and I would be very sad because I actually <laughs> bought um, <laughs> a cool looking golden pine Calpis soda, which is like a like a milk-based mm. soda, I guess. Yeah. Um, not, not sure. Do you have it in the US? Calpis? Like, or, yeah. It might sound off to whoever's listening. If you're not in Japan, it's C-A-L-P-I-S. It's not, uh, you know, <laughs> double S. Or cow piss by any chance. I don't think we have it. Maybe like in an Asian supermarket, they might have it. And also Bakari Sweat, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still haven't had a sip, so I don't know if it's good or bad. But um, I, I, I thought I'd spice things up on this podcast. Nice. So you how, how about you? Yeah. I have uh, peach flavored water, which is very, very good. It's just it literally... the second time, right? Yeah, but it's it's like, it tastes like a really juicy summer peach. Sounds good. It's a keeper. Yeah. And coffee, of course. Uh, Tully's Coffee Barista's Black in a can. Yeah, it, it's pretty amazing how how much variety there is in the Japanese vending machines. Like, it's, You know, every single vending machine that I pass by, I always look at it to see what kind of uh, drinks they have. Just like in hopes of maybe somewhere there's like re- a really unique drink that's not available in other vending machines. Sometimes there's variation. Yeah. Yeah. Even when you see like Two or three vending machines side by side. There's usually like hmm. fifty different types of drinks in, in them combined. Yeah, yeah but also the. Sorry, go ahead. Sets, oh, I was just gonna say also they look cool. Like, yeah, like yeah. especially if you're passing by at night, there's like a glow coming out, like a light glow coming out from the machines. And if they're standing side by side, like I almost wish someone starts a Instagram. Maybe that maybe there is one a photography of nothing but uh, vending machines at night. Yeah, actually, I was about to say, um, I, I saw this guy a while back, probably more than a year back um, on the internet, and he actually published a book just photographing um, various vending machines all throughout Japan. And it's mm-hmm. like at, at night during the day and in summer and in like heavy snow. And it, it seemed like a pretty cool, what do you call it? Like a coffee table book, mm-hmm. like, a, like a photo book. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's certainly somebody doing that. It's, it's like the humans of New York. Vending machine version. Vending machines of Japan. Exactly. So now that we've covered the drinks, what are we talking about today? 
Yeah, so I think let's just um, catch up a bit on what's going on with our side hustles, with our hustles, um, any books we're reading, um, and a bunch of other random things that are going on right now. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of the main topic, I guess, in the second half of the episode. Um, let's talk about a couple of simple businesses, a couple of actual um, examples of very simple businesses that um, they didn't take a lot of like technical knowledge to start or anything like that. Because I think a lot of people, when they hear like start a business or start a side hustle, mm-hmm. they immediately imagine like, oh my God, I got to know how to code or oh my God, I got to be the best graphic designer ever or yeah. whatever it might be. We're going to know accounting or finance. Yeah, exactly. And I think these three or four, or however many examples we have here, they're great examples of um, how that is not actually true and how even if eventually you get to the point where you have your own tech or you have some like crazy designs or something, mm-hmm. like before you get to the to that point, you can start with something very, very simple and, and build it up from there rather than having to have something really advanced right from the start. Yeah. Usually having something advanced from the start is more of a hindrance than it is a, an advantage. Yeah, exactly. Unless you have like $10 million in like venture capital funding or something. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. So let's jump into the hustles. Uh, what have you been doing? So, so yesterday I just sat down and published like the seven remaining articles on my on the new site that, I'm, that, that is now actually launched with the 30 articles to begin with that I've been talking about for the last couple of months, I guess. Um, it, it's, it's been my July, July goal to launch it. Um, but then again, goals don't go as planned. So I finally managed to finish it on August 15th for the record. So, so that's great. And um, yeah, and, and with that launch, I've kind of been trying to figure out how, how I'm going to be um, reinvesting the money that the sites make into content and like how do I spread it across the different sites and, um, and, and kind of came up with a new challenge for me slash like a new case study that I can potentially write up eventually down the road is... Um, I think I mentioned this the last time, but I have a site that I've that had like 20 articles on it and it's making like $40, $50 a month. Mm-hmm. But um, but I haven't touched it almost at all in the last year or two. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to revive that and start posting like five times a week or something and um, to, to see if I can build it up to, to, to at least make a couple hundred dollars. Because again, based on my like um, back of the envelope sort of calculation that I did here... Um, like if I can invest like $2,500 into the content, mm-hmm. let's say to, to begin with as kind of the experiment and the site starts making about two, $300 as a result of that, which, which I think is pretty um, possible, then the site will be worth like five or $6,000, right? If, if I decide to sell it. So um, yeah, that, that sounds like a pretty good experiment to me and, and something that I can write about on my personal blog later on. Yeah, that sounds good. So it sounds like you've already been quite busy and... Well, what about uh, your uh, August goal? What What were my August goals? I'm actually not sure. Okay. <laughs> I'd, I'd have to look back into our last episode. But, but uh, oh yeah, I, I think one of the goals was making a video. So I haven't made a video, but um, I've published an article about personal finance on my personal blog on kshinokina.com. Mm-hmm. And that, that was kind of motivated by our previous discussion about kind of the personal blog, personal YouTube channel sort of side of the um, business. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and, and then I think my other goal was increasing production on my on my on one of my main sites, and that's kind of underway right now as well. But it's all gotta be. By the way, here's an off-topic comment um, because you came up with the idea of writing an article on personal finance through the, one of the podcasts that we had, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it would be just a good idea to like also have this podcast as a bit of a, I think I mentioned before, have this podcast act as a training grounds or a proving grounds 
Like if you have if you have an idea that you want to test out or flesh out here, we talk about it there, or we talk about it here, and then if you like it, you can use that content also on your site and vice versa. If you wrote an article on your site that you think should get an audio version of some sort, or you want to discuss it in full length, so it's, it's a way to like um, I guess practice the ideas or see how they hit or what, or if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Actually, like way back when we started this podcast, um, I, I was thinking that um. Essentially, each of these episodes we make, it's, it's pretty easy to reuse it as a blog post, I think, because it's, it's much easier to type up what we've discussed it at length rather than kind of starting with a blank page. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe that's what we should start doing. Maybe we should just start taking the old episodes and start rewriting them as articles for, for your personal blog, for your blog, and for um, for my personal blog. Yeah. Because I think there's some good content here that, that can be easily reused, retyped, repurposed. Yeah. I mean, it's... Also, not this. I mean, like, yeah, there's the part of reusing and repurposing, but there's also the part of um, trying it in one place kind of gets your mind going and thinking of what else you could do or seeing if the idea actually works or if it fits or if, or if it's a dud and, you know, people don't like it. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's good too. And it also helps out to just um, chat about it rather than just kind of trying to think through it on your own. Exactly. Because, like, you bring a different perspective and merging those two perspectives it brings out new ideas and things like that so yeah yeah i think it's definitely a good um breeding and testing ground for ideas yeah so on my end um well i am i'm three i promised five articles by the end of august i am three in well if count you could count four if uh, i did one that's unrelated to the product reviews but i think i'll hit that goal and then i'll see what else i could do but i'm only i'm only promising small right now because I promised the moon and back last time or a month back and I didn't hit any of that. Yeah, the three is pretty good. We're we're the half of the month and you still have half left and you're yeah. more than halfway there. So but I think the the math works out. But when my website is down right now, so that's not cool. Yeah, that, that's not cool. And and if, if I didn't ask you if you how how your traffic is doing, you probably wouldn't even yeah, realize. I, I would probably discover next week. I'm just like, oh, I wonder how my sites are doing. It would have probably been down for like a week or so, but it's, I think it's been down since Saturday. Oh no! Yeah, but it's it's the smaller site, so it's it's okay. Yeah, at least it's a smaller site, and, and at, at least it's a technical glitch and not um not Google. Yeah. Deciding they don't want to show you anymore because th- there was a pretty big scare among like internet marketers last week, I think, mm-hmm. when suddenly like a lot of the search engine results pages have been reshuffled and like, a lot of people lost a lot of traffic. And I think it was one of the very few rare times where Google actually came out and said, um, sorry, guys, it was a glitch. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's rare. Yeah. That might so, not so happen. Even Google does make a mistake every now and then. I know it's definitely a thing. Well, it's a rare thing, but it has happened before with um, email marketing with their spam filters. I know there was, a time, there was a time that they stepped back or they rolled something back. Yeah. But SEO is like a different, I don't know, maybe if it's a different <laughs> ballgame or not, but it's it's very hard to... It's well, not hard. It's almost like you'd think they, you'd know, you'd think they'd know what they're doing. So yeah, when people exactly. get punished, it's like, oh, I guess we deserved it. <laughs> at, at the same time, it, it, it's like at this point, the algorithm must be so complicated that I, I, I truly wonder if any single person has like a solid understanding of the whole thing overall hmm. of how it works, or if it's just a bunch of like different components that just put together, but nobody has a, any idea of how the entire machine works. Or that would be a little scary. Like if the company itself doesn't know what the hell they've made. 
But yeah, uh, actually, I did not. I think it kind of impacted my smaller site. But no, I think I, I know I mentioned it earlier to you that my smaller site took a dip. But I think that was before the bug. I sent you the images. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that was before. I think the bug was on like August 10th or something. Okay. And you didn't get affected by it, right? Uh, luckily, it seems like no. And also, yeah. So, so after the bug, there's been like people talking about whether it was whether they mistakenly deployed something earlier than they planned or or whatever it was. And now, now there's people talking that there's another um, actual update going on. So we'll have to. My see. God. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! Like imagine like, well, I'm not as serious into SEO and like having you know I could take a hit and whatnot. But people whose livelihoods depend on search engine optimization, imagine living like that. It's knowing that there's always going to be ups and downs. And like every time Google is rolling out an update, I think there's no mental uh, clarity or no, there's no peace there. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's insane. It's like, um, like, look at what Corona has done to like restaurants and stores and whatever, right? It's like you, you had a shop on the busiest street in town. Mm-hmm. And you were doing good with all the traffic. And then suddenly this this virus comes and you have to shut down everything and you lose all your revenues overnight, pretty much, right? Yeah. And, and I think when you run a website that depends on Google traffic, it's like you never know when the next corona is going to come, but you know that it's not going to be like once every 10 years or something. There's going to be like multiple times a year. Yeah. And, and you don't know if it's going to hit your area or not, but there's always that risk. So it's, it's pretty scary. I think, I mean, it should be looked into... By regulate by regulate what is it what are they called regulators? Yeah, I think that should be looked into because it's in some question in some sense questionable. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a really difficult topic. I think, and and now there there's a lot of investigations into Google and things like that, right? So we'll have to see what they come up with. But um, yeah, I I think one entity having the ability to essentially create or destroy like thousands of businesses with one click essentially of deploying the, the new code. Mm-hmm. Th- that's quite a <laughs> quite the power and quite the responsibility, I'd say. And yeah. And and they probably shouldn't be hundred percent left to their own judgment. Because yeah. so, in a way they're they went from being like a media company or something to being a utility, right? Mm-hmm. Google's probably just as important as your like power line or as your as your water and um sewage line or whatever. Yeah. It's just part of life for everyone. Someone might argue but you could use Bing. What would you say to that? Yeah, you can also go into the mountain and like dig your own hole or bring water from like a nice stream in the mountain. But come yeah. on, yeah, yeah, th- yeah. That th- that's an argument that um that Google would use. And and I think it was um in Peter Thiel's zero to one book, if if I'm not mistaken, or or he probably said it somewhere else. Maybe um it's like every small company tries to act as a monopoly, mm-hmm. but every monopoly tries to act as if they're in like a super competitive market. Right? Yeah. Almost sounds like, you know, uh, Zuckerberg's testimonials to Congress saying, oh, we're just trying to be competitive in our space because of people coming at us. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Sometimes those are funny. Everybody knows you're a monopoly. So <laughs> at least stop yeah. pretending and start figuring out how to deal with this. It's like a dictator saying, oh, there's a lot of pressure coming in. <laughs> Well, in the meantime, he's squashing and having them all arrested. Yes, Senator, but we at Facebook have a lot of competition and we oh, yeah. welcome competitions. Like, yeah. Like sure. MySpace, Friendster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And anyway, it's enough about monopolies. <laughs> That's a topic for next time. We, we are not trained in discussing monopolies. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> 
Yeah, a, a couple other like minor things that I wanted to just briefly mention because I thought they're kind of um, worth just just chatting about is what one um I'm sure you know, but um they started charging for plastic bags in Japan finally. Yeah. When when it happened like a month ago or something. Yeah. And they just made me realize how powerful even like um like one yen, which is what like one cent difference or or like two or three cents different difference can be. Mm-hmm. And like the difference between free and really really like essentially free but still paid yeah because because like every time we go to the store now like we take our own bags right and and it's eco-friendly of course and and that's kind of the whole purpose and it's not it's not like i'm trying to save the three cents right i don't really care about the three cents and i wouldn't mind paying for the bag but at the same time it's it it just those three cents really create a barrier to actually relying on the free bag at the store Hmm. and and i guess help the environment over the long term So, so so i just thought that's pretty cool it's like you can start charging like super minimal amount for something and suddenly it changes people's behavior a lot, yeah. like like way more disproportionately more to the actual price you're charging. Yeah. I think there there would be someone that is going to argue, oh, it's only three yen, I'm paying that anyway. So it's really no it's really not a exactly a step forward. And what would you say to that? Yeah, that's interesting. Because I, I was watching something on TV the other day, right after they introduced it and they were just like they love to do here. Um, they, they were interviewing a bunch of people on the street, asking them, hey, what do you think the, the bags are going to cost? Like, what are five yen, mm-hmm. five cents or something? And like, there were people saying like, oh yeah, I'm already using my own bag. Or there were people saying, oh yeah, I, I plan to start using my own bag because mm-hmm. it's environmentally friendly. And then there's people that, that were saying like, oh yeah, I, I don't really care about the five cents, so I'm just going to keep buying the bags. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's people that are, <laughs> then there was this, um, this old like grandpa type of guy and he's like oh my god it's five cents it's so expensive i'm gonna start using my own bag (laughs) so so i think it really depends on the person right but um but like in my personal case i I feel like it's again it's it's, i don't care about the five cents or three cents or ten cents or whatever it might be but it's like now there's an extra step right before i would just buy the things and the and the um and the shopkeeper just give me the bags automatically Mm -hmm. now there's a step of you either having to say hey please give me a bag yeah. Or the shopkeeper asking you, do you want the bag? Yeah. And like now you kind of feel guilty when you say yes, right? Because mm-hmm. you know that it's, it's not about the five cents, it's about the environment. Yeah. It's about the greater good or whatever. Or like, just literally, you have to go through that extra step. Like, do you want a bag? Like, it becomes it becomes something that you have to keep in mind, right? In the past, it's on automatic. Now it's sapping your cognitive uh, bandwidth, essentially. It's putting it to the front of your mind. To the point where if it's easier to either get it back or not get it back, you may as well bring your own back so you don't have to deal with that. Yeah, that too. But, but then again, you still have to say no, right? Yeah. So, so saying, saying no and saying yes is the exact same thing. It takes the exact same amount of time. But I just feel there's like a certain level of guilt in, in you yeah. having to say yes to that question. Because yeah. you know that I mean, they're not charging for the bag because they need the three cents. They're charging for yeah. it because they don't want you to buy it. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I say I want the bag uh with no problem really but i'm not gonna, i'm not arguing that my point is correct that i now, we, now we've lost all the environmentalists yeah. listening <laughs> no, no, but, no but listen uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna take this i'm gonna take i'm, I'm not taking a stance but i know for a fact that there's gonna be people out there that can be like oh whatever you're not it's not exactly saving anything so i'm gonna get it anyway it's like a minor drop in the ocean or i'll still get it who cares it doesn't matter but i mean from their own uh, minuscule point of view, it maybe doesn't matter. But if you move enough people, if enough people change their behavior, 
of course, there'll be outliers that are generally um, just real life trolls and want to create problems and just want to be, you know, kind of like they want to be teenagers inside of a 40 year, 40 year, 40 year old man's body and just kind of just challenge everything. But they don't matter in the grand scheme. What matters is if you move enough people, if enough, if enough people switch over, then that's what matters. And the second part is that as long as a few people start gaining acceptance, as long as it starts entering the public's mind right now, it'll get better with time. So it doesn't have to work right now. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the thing about um, there's going to be people saying that, oh, we just want plastic bag or or, or, or bag, when, um, bag when plastic straws were kind of in the spotlight and being replaced by paper and like metal straws or whatever. There yeah. are people saying, oh, just straws. But, but then again, I feel like j just as it's about more than, than the three cents, I think it's about more than just the plastic bag, right? It's like now that you have the plastic bag being paid and you having to think about it every day, it kind of... Um, it kind of also transfers to other areas, right? And hmm. and it just kind of keeps the issue at the top of your mind. So, so exactly. I think overall, it's a good thing. Exactly. If the issue is at the top of your mind, I mean, you might say no right now, but say 10 years later on, be like, all right, whatever. And any, anyone that's new that's entering the society, for example, you know, kids that are becoming adults, I mean, they've already kind of grown up with this idea and for them, it's fine. And by that point, you have more than enough people that are opting to use their own bags instead of paying for bags. And that's where the real change kind of happens. It's, it's not about the few kind of trolls that want to say, oh, ha, 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 I'm going to do it anyway. Or, you know, or they're saying, oh, ha, ha, it makes no difference if you're getting a paper straw. It's about what happens like many years down the line. Yeah, that, that's a great point, too, because probably like like there is a saying that um you can't teach old dog new tricks, right? Mm -hmm. So probably from the older people and from like, even people our age or whatever, there might be a lot that that um maybe that that won't change. Yeah. But then again, I'm sure their kids when they grow up and stuff like that, it's like you you need a you need an entire generation to do like a shift of this proportion of going from like not so eco friendly to like really eco friendly or whatever, right? It, it's yeah. a big shift, and this is just a small part of it. Yeah. And it takes the whole generation, and I think every single small part of it seems like it's kind of trivial, and it's like it's more for the show than for any sort of practical purpose. Mm -hmm. but, but I think when you compound all these small things, then after 30 years, when there's a brand new generation of people, their mindset will be completely different from like the mindset of people that, that grew up like 20 years ago, like we did or something. Exactly. And I think that's where, that's where it is. Um, and also, no, I think no real change happens instantly, at least without violence. But like change is usually gradual. And it's hard to get people to change their uh, attitudes or like behaviors, but you can work, you're, you can kind of nudge, nudge them along, right? I think the same thing is seen in companies. Um, if they want to get, if they want to implement a new program, they're not going to throw the entire workforce into it. They're going to start with a small base and then scale up. Yeah, exactly. That. And, and, and you just got to think of it as like a, a huge project of trying to make the environment cleaner. Hmm. And then, and then the plastic bags in this case, it's just one small task that's part of the huge project but it, yeah, it's, just it's one like step. one small task that needs to get done yeah that in itself is probably not super impactful but as, as a part of the whole it's probably pretty important yeah you might and i think that's where people can't really get it because they are they're looking at it in the short term and they're thinking oh what's the port what's the point you have all these plastic bags that i mean you're trying to eliminate plastic bags but you also know the fact that japan really overuses um like plastic containers and everything's like single wrapped yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it is crazy, but at the same time, it's like one one step at a time, too. You know, you can't really change everything instantly overnight. But, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's it's part of the culture and stuff like that. So, so yeah, you, you can't just march in and say, 
hey, we're canceling all plastics. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> you can make, gonna... yeah, but you can make small changes overnight. And that's where the short-term thinkers don't really get it. And they think, oh, you're not exactly making a dent. Well, small steps. Speaking of small steps, I see you have walks. Yeah, as, as I was mentioning in the intro, um, for the last four days, I've been going uh, for my walk around 6, 6.30. Mm-hmm. Like before, I used to go around 4, pretty much every workday to kind of break it up in two halves or, or in two parts, not necessarily halves. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it just my time for some like random thinking and like listening to podcasts and, and mixing, it, mixing it up with, um, with a bit of, not sure if you can call it exercise, but um, let's call it exercise. It's good enough, yeah. Small steps. Yeah, and I, yeah, I, I feel like it's in a way it's the best form of exercise because I think it really helps clear your mind and and it's when when some of my kind of like I guess bigger picture ideas, not necessarily like small implementations of things, it, it's usually they, they pop up during my walks. It's like I think of something and I stop, sit on a bench and type it up and, mm-hmm. and then implement later. But but usually it's on my walks where when I get some of my um, better ideas, I guess. With oh, I should really go on walks now. Like by myself and yeah, you should and I yeah and I think there's a value in in walking with not listening to anything and just mm-hmm. kind of clearing your head. But I also feel like if, if if you choose the right podcast, then listening to podcasts is is a great way to kind of generate ideas for your own business as well. It's like especially when there's podcasts where two people are chatting about something mm-hmm. and you're kind of listening and you kind of want to be part of the conversation and and it kind of sparks new ideas inside your own head. Related yeah. to what they're talking about, of course, in a way, but also related to what you are dealing with yourself, right? Yeah. So did you, did you get any new ideas lately? Or is because this, this is a new practice for you, right? Well, it's not a new practice for you, but the 6 a.m. walks are a new practice. Yeah, j- just wanted to kind of bring them up because, um, again, as, as I said, I used to go f- um, in the afternoon and then now it's like 36 degrees every day pretty much. So yeah, to switch them to the morning. So, so it was a bit of a change in the routine. So, so I thought I'd mention that. But uh, yeah, usually I get ideas about like um, projects I'm working on right now for clients and things like that. And, and I just feel like when I'm at home, I either do nothing or I sit in front of the computer or in mm-hmm. front of the TV or something. And, and in those cases, it's really hard to relax, right? Yeah. And um, which is why we get the best ideas in showers and uh, when taking a shower and when taking a walk and stuff like that. So it's yeah, I guess one of the reasons I brought it up is just to kind of um, refresh everybody's um, what, what everybody knows, which, which is that um, walks are not only good for your health, but also for your mind. It's um, I mentioned that book earlier, maybe a few episodes back. It was the um, Stillness is Key by Ryan Holiday. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it goes back to the same concept of like where everyone has their own downtime or anywhere where the brain gets to shut down, but it's kind of still working in the background. So, you know, I think someone might, a more gung-ho type of person might look at this and be like, I, I'm all about hustle, hustle, hustle. I don't have time for this stuff. But I think it's, you get much better ideas when you let your brain just turn off. Like, and not turn off by watching TV or getting like, or putting something else in your head, but uh, allowing yourself to experience silence. So in my case, I used to run quite a lot before I went to the gym and I could never run with music on. I always, I, I tried, it just like, I can only do it on the way back. Like there's a certain, there was a certain part of my route where I do like a straight shot back to my apartment. And at that point I put on some really hype music, but before that I could not honestly run at all because it just felt uncomfortable. Cause I have to, it's, it's, I don't know, it's hard to be present if you have something else like yammering into your ear. 
Yeah, exactly. And and, and that's where I think the quiet walks are really good. And yeah. Quiet walks, I guess. But that reminds me, because like I have not been doing much of that at all, including running. So really should go on. Like the the six a.m. part is the part I'm jealous about because I, I have trouble waking up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, that's the problem now, because like unless I wake up at six a.m., it's like I can't go for a walk. Mm-hmm. And and like it's it's turned into a real habit. It's like there were some days where where it was raining really hard or something, and I I guess I could have gone on a walk, but um, I didn't go on a walk. Yeah, and, and something just didn't feel right. And and I feel it's that kind of like defragmentation process, kind of like clearing your head and just processing things you've been working on, and and like you've had your head in the weeds for so long, and you get out and you just kind of still think about the things, but they're they're the secondary activity. Yeah. So you kind of remove yourself from those things and it kind of helps you process things better. Yeah. So, so I, I think everybody needs some sort of thing like this. And, and I think a lot of people meditate to achieve essentially the same result. Um, I tried it like one and a half time. <laughs> Nothing for me, gotta say. Mm-hmm. But, but I think walking is like my meditation. It didn't work? Yeah. I, I just can't sit still and like pretend I'm not thinking anything or whatever the purpose even is <laughs> yeah and, and meditation again, I, didn't I work. people that, that meditate and i i'm, I'm mm-hmm. sure it works for a lot of people but it just worked for me i think maybe you didn't stick with it long enough or you just that, i don't know that, that's possible too because you had the point is like if you feel uncomfortable and your mind starts wandering i think that's exactly the point like because that that will happen and the point is to deal or to to kind of power through it and like let it happen anyway yeah, that, yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe I just got to be moving in one way or another all the mm-hmm. time. So maybe that's why when I'm walking, it's like the moving part is taken care of by the walking rather than me like smashing the keyboard or something. Mm-hmm. And then my mind gets to relax. Whereas if I had to sit still and also keep my mind still, I, I don't know. I just, I, just, um, I just really don't think it's for me. I think you can, you can get it done. <laughs> all right. So next up, what do we have? Trading cards. Oh yeah, so so that um, I, I think that kind of segues nicely into our second half of this. But um, yeah, the, the other day, just um, I was out with girlfriend shopping um, at like a small mall, and we mm-hmm. ran into this trading card shop, and it just reminded me of my childhood when I used to collect like um, ice hockey players' cards and um, baseball cards and, and things like that, Pokemon cards. Yeah, I did that too, Pokemon cards. Yeah, and, and I went to the store and I was like, oh wow, this is so great, and I just wanted to buy everything, <laughs> but then um. Yeah, I just thought it's such a genius idea. It's just a piece of paper with something, and it just turned into something that's collectible. Mm-hmm. And now there's people selling it for like, like some cards go for tens of thousands of dollars, right? It's, it's insane. Yeah. And um, yeah, I couldn't resist, and I bought a pack of Pepsi Cola Premium Trading Cards. Pepsi Cola Premium Trading Cards. Yeah, because I, I was thinking if I should buy what ice hockey or baseball cards, but then I saw this. And it's essentially, um, I'll put a photo in the show notes, but it's essentially. Um, Pepsi's marketing materials from like decades mm. ago, printed on carts and look pretty nice. I think it's a, a principle of marketing. Like if not a principle, but like if you make things a collectible, like people will buy it. So like one way to improve your marketing is to have something that's a collectible. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened with sneakers, right? Um, I, I don't follow that scene at all, but it seems like there's people collecting sneakers nowadays. Yeah. Well, it's been quite a while. Like I've had um, a lot of Nike, not Nike. I had, I've had a lot of Puma suede's. Like Puma suede's are uh, a b-boy shoe for any for anyone that doesn't know b-boy is a breakdancer, male breakdancer, b-girl. But like Puma suede's are probably one of the most popular shoes among b-boys, and I've had I had like ten at one point of various colors. Yeah. 
So definitely also people get a lot of Jordans or right now I'm a big fan of Nike Air Maxes. But yeah, it's a, definitely a thing. Yeah, and, and there seems to be people just, just buying them and flipping them and collecting them. Yeah, it's, it has its own economy. And just to kind of segue into the main part of this podcast or into, into our main topic of today, um, like just as trading cards are so simple and so genius, um, mm-hmm. we, we want to talk about a couple of like small or, or, or medium-sized businesses here, I guess, that, um, that are really simple at their core, but that are really providing a lot of value in, in some of the cases and that are fairly simple to um, execute in terms of creating the product itself, right? Mm-hmm. The reason why we're talking about this is these uh, these examples, people started these side hustles or businesses without fancy tools, without any special knowledge for the most part, without any special training. They didn't need to code. They didn't need to know finance. They didn't need to know accounting. They didn't need to know a lot of design. Like these are literally stupid, simple ideas that people made happen. I wouldn't call them stupid because they're so simple. In fact, you're quite smart. And the whole point for this is for you Again, if anyone of you is thinking, oh, well, I can't really do it because I don't have an idea or I'm not so smart. Some of these ideas are really simple that anyone can do it. I see you have to help a reporter out as a simple business. Yeah, that, that kind of fascinates me. And, and, and I'm, I'm really fascinated by these businesses that really manage to take like simple tools that are out there, like, like um, Facebook groups, newsletters, um, Excel, Word, mm-hmm. um, what, whatever simple tools are that are out there that people already use and turn them into businesses rather than like, obsessing over creating the perfect product from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think this is a great example where, um, so, so what of is, what Helper Reported Out is, is that um, it connects reporters, it, it connects writers with sources, right? So all sorts of writers for newspapers and for blogs and so on are looking for people to quote and people to include their opinions in their articles and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Essentially what journalists do. And this service connects the two groups. And, and what it does is, all, all it is essentially is, is a newsletter. So I'm subscribed to it and um, I was able to get a couple of quotations in like, um, what was it, in like MSNBC News or something. And, 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 in, and in some like fairly big media um, for my aviation side, I was able to get some backlinks and also be quoted. But essentially what they do is once, a, again, what they do is a couple of times a day, they send you a newsletter. Mm-hmm. And it's really simple. It's it just plain text and and a bunch of links. And the links are like the default blue and nothing fancy, right? It's just the text and links. And all it is is a, it's a list of like this this guy's looking for opinions on this. So it might be like traveling during the age of Corona. I'm looking for some sources to give me their top tips on how to travel in 2020 or something, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just like 20, 30 of those around the topics that you subscribe to. And then you just reply and it connects you directly with the reporter. And I think that's just genius because it just, again, it's just a newsletter. It's, it's no fancy technology or nothing. It's just a, it just a list of things. And, and they managed to turn this into like a million dollar business. And then um, I think they sold it to a pretty large like PR agency or something. Mm-hmm. So now it's part of a larger business. But again, all this guy, all this guy did was um, build an audience and just use really simple tools that are out there, which is like yeah. a newsletter automation sort of thing. And he made money with ad- advertising, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so one of the articles I found about um, about this in the past, it says Shankman, which I guess is the guy that founded it, um, sells $1,500 line ads to advertisers like Westin Hotels. Hmm. And yeah, so I'm not sure if that's how they still monetize, but... Uh, but yeah, but yeah, based on this article, they were able to turn a million dollars over 12 months whenever this was written, 
so now it must be um higher i, I would guess yeah i mean it's definitely simple all he did was connected two existing audiences or two existing demographics that probably have a need for each other but don't exactly have a direct channel to each other exactly and and didn't obsess about creating like custom platform or like some fancy piece of software or anything yeah. and I, I, there, there's a lot of cases where that's great that's the right way to go i think but i think in the vast majority of cases um there's always some simpler solution that's that's just good enough yeah like like the simple good old newsletter was in this case yeah so next up actually we also have another newsletter on this one or the hustle i think both of us uh received that email yeah it, it's one of the few newsletters that i actually read most of the times when i receive it and um it, it's just kind of a summary of what's going on in the world of business i guess right mm-hmm. and um i'm i, I haven't read into 2d but i believe that this guy sam Parr, i think is his name and he's got a pretty cool podcast too and uh yeah he, I, I believe he started just a newsletter and started getting subscribers and what he was doing is send out this newsletter but then it evolved into like a multi-million dollar media company that talks about business from various aspects and i believe they have like a, a membership group or membership site i think it's called trends mm-hmm. and and like again this is a great example of where like not, now it's a multi-million dollar company and it's super fancy, mm-hmm. but really it started from like a really simple newsletter, right? Yeah. I think, didn't he want to start a newsletter to promote his events or was that unrelated? Oh, could be. Did he have, did he have events first? Yeah. He, mm-hmm. If that's the case, then maybe that's when he started. Yeah. Yeah. But, I'm not hundred percent sure about this one, but um, I, I know that the, the media company that they're now, it's kind of, I believe it can trace its origins back to the, back to the newsletter. Yeah, and and, and, this, and the course still is the newsletter. And here, all is essentially they're just typing up a daily newsletter of what's new in news and uh, any ideas that they came up that that they think is worth mentioning. Like I'm looking at one right now. Um, yeah, definitely, it's a very interesting newsletter. Two truths and a lie. One, a Virginia water park offers deep sea diving masks to keep swimmers safe. Two, Gucci will let you try on shoes that don't exist. Three, the amount of digital content on Earth could equal half of the planet's mass by 2020, wait, 2,245. Like, how will people say that year in the future? I don't know. But yeah, it's definitely like things that you would open up and be like, oh, wow, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fun newsletter to read. There's always some nice ideas in there. I'm looking, there's one on this day in business history on August 15th, 1848. An inventor named Milton Waldo Henschett received a patent for the tilting dentist chair. After seeing this contraption, we're never complaining about the modern industry dentistry again. Yeah, like this stuff, you know, there is, there definitely is always a market for people that, you know, for interesting facts and just, uh, I guess it would be, what's the, what's the phrase? What am I looking for? Curation. A curation. Yeah. Curation of information. Yeah, cu- curation is big. Like pe- people don't realize, and and I think it comes back to, like how how simple some ideas can be. It's like you don't even have to create anything. You can just curate what somebody else creates, right? Because there's so much information created these days. Yeah. There's like thousands and thousands of blogs, thousands and thousands of YouTube channels, hundreds of podcasts, and whatever. And like, how do you choose what to read? How do you choose which podcast to follow? Or how do you even choose which which um, individual article to read? Yeah, And I think that's where a lot of value can be created is like if somebody, and I think that's what um, personal brands are good for, but it's if somebody trusts you as a person and once a week or once a month, you send them a newsletter saying, oh, this is the best stuff that I read. And this is what I recommend you read. And this is what I recommend you watch. 
then that saves you so much time because because you don't have to search for all those different things that might not interest you or that that would have essentially wasted your time, right? Yeah. So I think curation can be powerful. And and again, all you need to start curating and start building an audience and potentially turn it into business is Twitter account is one option. Yeah. Or just a simple newsletter and, and like a landing page or something. Also, Tim Ferriss does uh, weekly newsletters, the Five Bullet Friday. Yeah, I, I get that one as well. Yeah. And yeah. I, it seems like he has a lot of, um says join millions of monthly readers. So he probably has a quite a big mailing list of people that, you know, I guess what a listener might be thinking of is like, do people really want extra emails? Do people actually read this stuff? Well, chances are the answer is yes. If, you know, if people are making money off of it, you know, if they're continuing to do it, then it means that something's working there. Yeah, exactly. I, I pe- People are reading these emails, J- just like you're reading newspaper, just like you're reading a magazine. It's, it's no different. It lands in your inbox, just a different format of the same thing. Yeah. Right. But but also the same thing applies. If if the content is crap, then nobody's gonna be reading it the second or the third time. If the content's yeah. great, then people are not gonna be able to wait until the next um, issue lands in their in their inbox. So yeah. it all comes down to like, especially with newsletters and things like that, where it's kind of personal and and where people have the option of just throwing it away right away or marking it as spam or as spam or um, unsubscribing. Yeah. I think it comes down to the quality of the content and. Um, yeah, and I think the Hustle newsletter is really great in that regard. Yeah, I agree. I get it. Um, I definitely will take a look at it because I work in email marketing, so I get a ton of emails and I will take a peek at um, the Hustle among a few other ones. Sometimes I don't check Tim Ferriss, but the Hustle I always take a look at. Yeah, and, and I think there's like two different types of newsletters, right? And and one, one are newsletters that really are just blatant sales. Like you open the email and you know that they're just trying to sell you something or... Mm. And every single email is that. And, and you don't even have to open the email because the headline is going to say something like, oh, don't miss out on this deal. And, and yeah. that's every single headline they send like once every week or even once every day. Yeah. But then there's newsletters. And, and, I, and I think that's what people, most people imagine when they're hearing newsletter. Mm-hmm. But then there's newsletters that actually provide a lot of value within the email. And m- maybe they pigeon a thing or two, or maybe, they, um, maybe there's a sponsored portion, like I believe the Hustle newsletter now has. But it flows really nicely with the overall content, and like when you read the email, you you get some value right out right out of it. And I think those newsletters are are going to be big, and and they're already huge right now. Yeah. So would you recommend someone to start a newsletter if they were looking to start a super simple business or a side hustle? I think it depends on the time horizon, because I, I think if you need cash tomorrow, then it's probably pretty hard, because because you first have to build the audience, right? And and building the audience is hard. But then again, I think if you have time and if you have something interesting to say, then then it's probably worth, even if it's not your main um, gig at the time, but still kind of building up your personal brand or building up your whatever it is that you want to curate or what, what you want to write about, kind of building it on the side slowly. Mm-hmm. And actually, I got my first bunch of subscribers for my um, personal blog. So I got, I got to start a newsletter from this month. That's not good. It's another thing for you to do. Well, it's not. That's good. That's a good problem to have. Yeah, pretty excited about it, actually, because I always wanted to put more effort into my um, personal blog. Yeah. But it always kind of falls on the back burner. Yeah. Because that's how I got a reason. It's hard to do new things, and especially if you don't know what kind of ROI you get from them, so you wouldn't really try to do it. Yeah, exactly. That's hard. And and like going back to content sites and what we were talking about in our um, kind of updates at the beginning of the episode, Mm -hmm. it's like, let's say you have a site that makes $3,000 or something. And you also just launch two sites or three sites or whatever. 
mm-hmm. and you want to reinvest the three thousand dollars that the main site earns you, like deciding how to split that money across the three sites or four sites or five sites is really hard, right? Because because like a common common sense would tell you that oh, invest it all into the one that's growing so that it grows even faster. Mm-hmm. But then one day Google strikes your site and you lose all of it, right? Yeah. So so that, so that means to diversify, you need to invest some of it into the other sites. But then how much do you invest into the other sites and how much do you invest into the main side? And um, and, and doing that sort of prioritization can be really hard. Yeah. And and it's the same with time and and like main projects and side projects and and side side projects. <laughs> it's definitely hard, but it's definitely worth a try. Yeah. Especially, I mean, from my side as an email marketer, uh, there's definitely solid ROI. But it's it's again, it's one of these things that, for example, I don't do ads on my site and I can't specifically speak from experience that if ads make money or not. And because I am kind of in the dark about that, whereas you are not, you know, I don't feel the same way. But clearly, yeah. you know, the you know, the difference, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and um, yeah, because 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 right now, most of my um, I guess more than half of my website income comes from ads, which is kind of like somebody comes to your site and they go away right away. So so there's no kind of relationship building, but that's because of the nature that my sites are. Whereas, yeah, like um, I think in your case where the main thing is affiliate or for, for a company as well, I guess, it's like you got to build the relationship before you can sell the thing, right? So, so it's, it's a different model. And, and I also feel like with personal brands is a completely different model. And, and like it, it really depends on what you're doing. Exactly. So next up, we have... Uh the brain yeah to, yeah to go back to the simple ideas um i guess one of the last ones that we want to mention here is the brain which is um so so there's this guy um i hope i pronounce his name at least kind of right nate eliason does that sound about right mm-hmm. yeah and, and um yeah I think, yeah he, he's running a marketing agency i believe an seo agency and um and also a personal blog a, a really popular personal blog and one of the things that he sells on his blog is is this thing he calls the brain and what that is is just an Evernote notebook with um, notes from the books that he read, right? So, so again, the, the product, all the product is, is um, you pay $25 or something and you get access to his notebook of notes about the books that he read, that, that he would write anyways, right? So, so the product's really simple again here. And, and, and that's why it kind of fascinates me again. Yeah, and these aren't exactly like summaries, right? These are just literal quotes from the book. So, so I actually, I think I saw this product before. And to me, um, I was kind of expecting quotes and like, kind of like, not quotes, but spark notes, cliff notes, rundowns of what the book is about, what are the key takeaways. But actually what it ended up being was uh, just literal, you know, fun quotes or unique quotes that he probably would have wanted to remember from the book. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think it, with most of the notes, um, it, it's not like it's like a succinct summary. It, it, it just highlights that he probably exported from his Kindle or something. Yeah. And in a, in a way, I can see how many people will find it less valuable. But at the same time, as a business, it, it kind of fascinates me even more because like he'd be reading the book anyways, right? Yeah. He'd be exporting the notes anyways. And he's got this audience already. So all he did is just, if I'm doing this for myself, then I might just as well offer it to the public. And he just slapped it on his website and... Um, and I, I've seen some numbers on Twitter about this business, and um, he's selling it for twenty-five dollars mm-hmm. in his best month, at least when this guy published this. Um, he's made three thousand two hundred dollars, thirty-two hundred dollars. Um, so that's over a hundred copies of access to this brain thing. 
Yeah. And he's been making at least $500 a month with this. So at least 20 subscriptions or 20 purchases since December 2018. Wow. Right. So, so that's pretty cool to me. That, that's actually super cool to me. It's like he'd be doing this thing anyways. And all it is is just setting up a very simple automation in Gumroad saying, if somebody purchases this, then um, I'm not 100% sure how he set it up, but either he just sends them a link or maybe there's some like Zapier automation that adds them as the, as the collaborator on the notebook or something, as the viewer of the notebook. But, but in either case, it's super simple, right? Yes. yes, it makes $500 a month, which is, is not a like, super high amount of money, but it's also nothing to sneeze at. And it's made him more than $32,000 over the last year and a half, two years. So, so, so I'd say that's pretty, pretty genius. Especially if you, have, if you already have an audience, then like not doing this sounds like a waste once you see it actually work. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, on the business side, it is really brilliant. Like that's all he did. He read books, highlighted on the Kindle, uh, transported it over to his computer, set up a landing page and or whatever product it is and like in Evernote documents and that's it. And people are... Maybe unlike us, people are willing are seeing some value in there. Yeah, and again, so so it doesn't get me wrong. I, I don't think there's no value in that. I think there's value for some people. But again, I also believe that um, I personally believe it's better to read a book and read less and kind of immerse yourself in it deeper than kind of skim through 200 book notes and, and through 200 like smart sounding quotes. But but I, I think the thing that this demonstrates the best is I think... Um, like what this guy did is he took somebody that he already had and commercialized it, right? And, and I think mm-hmm. that should be kind of the mantra of starting a side hustle. It's like, what is it that you have and how can you turn it into money? Yeah. Like for this guy, it was this Evernote notebook. For you, it might be like, you know how to copyright. So you post a gig on, uh, so, so we find a gig on Upwork or something. For somebody else, it might be that they have like a huge collection of, I don't know, Legos at home. So they start a Lego block. Yeah. Or whatever it is, but just find that one thing that you already have and see how you can turn it into business. I think that's one good approach to starting some sort of side hustle. Yeah, that's. Would you buy this product? Uh, this notes thing. Yes. Uh, I, I was compelling. thinking of buying. I was thinking of buying it just to see how it works mm-hmm. for twenty-five bucks to kind of experiment with it. But in terms of the content of the product, I'm not not that interested in it, honestly. And again, because it's, I don't think it's a bad product. I think it's a great product. But I think um, I think notes make sense when you're the one that creates creates them. And yeah. it's like you read through the whole thing and then you take notes and then you read through the notes and you kind of remember the whole thing. Whereas if you just read through a bunch of quotes pulled out of a text, then I think you lose a lot of context and you lose a lot of the immersion that you get just by reading through 10 examples explaining the same thing in a book, right? Yeah. How I about think, you? I, I guess what he did is... um well. When I watch a movie, like a really good movie, like Interstellar, for example, or say Rocky, and I want some things cleared up or I want some analysis into something, after watching said movie, I'll go on YouTube and I'll look up, like, for example, Interstellar ending analysis, like to see what smarter people have thought or analyzed or what ideas they had on on certain scenes. And I do that quite often. So I think in that sense, he does provide value. So it would be useful to someone after they read something and just to kind of go back and refresh their memory. Although he does not go into analysis. Again, it's just quotes. So I, I definitely could see the use of it. Um, but I agree with you in the fact that your notes should be personal because maybe what you're trying to learn is not the same thing as I'm trying, what I'm trying to learn. And it's all about understanding. You have to do it in a way that you understand it best. And sometimes 
not everyone presents ideas in the best way. Yeah. Now, now, all that said, like thinking about it now, I think if you buy this for 25 bucks, right? It's like five lattes, Ramit Sethi would say. Yeah. If you buy this for 25 bucks and you, you just skim through the notes and there's like one quote that really sticks with you or that just inspires some business idea or something, and you actually go on to implement that idea that you get by skimming through the, through the book notes, then I'd say $25 is a steal. Yeah. And I think that's, that's another thing that a lot of people miss is like, you, you see a course for $100 and you're like, oh, wow, it's expensive. Or you see it for $1,000 and you see, wow, it's expensive. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I think in most cases, unless you can generate at least $1,000 in some sort of return from something like a course, then, then like, what's the point in even taking it? Unless it's something that's related to your hobby, right? In which case, just spend the money because it's money spent for fun. Yeah. I mean, to that extent, yeah, it's five lattes, five lattes for access to someone's notes on books. I think if there is value in it, it is a definite no brainer. And But that also, I guess a lot of people see things differently. Some people might think, hold on, do I just want someone's uh, notes on the books that they read? And to them, that might not sound good. But for other people, it'd be like, yeah, if I get at least one idea out of there that can help me build something or learn something, then it's worth all the money in the world. Yeah. Let me give you an um, actual practical example from, from for myself, like a few months back or maybe like a year back or something, I paid this guy like 20 bucks on Patreon because he said, if you subscribe for like the 20 buck tier or 25 or whatever it was, um, he shows you his income report, mm-hmm. right? So, so I essentially paid 25 bucks just to get access to that one, that one article, just to see what his income is made out of. And, and the reason for that is that um, I have a blog in similar space. Right? And if I can see his income breakdown and there's like one thing that I'm not doing, but he's doing and he's making like decent amount of money from it. Mm-hmm. And then I can take this thing and implement it in my blog. Then the $25 to pay him for the subscription to see his income report is a steal, right? Yeah. And, and I think it's the exact same thing with this. It's like if you can take all those ideas in those 250 or however many um, book summaries or book um, highlights or whatever it is there are, and you can turn them into something that brings you some sort of return. Then, then yeah, then it's a great deal, and and you should buy it, and and it's a great product. But if, but if you just buy it to thinking that you're gonna learn a lot just because you're gonna read for two hundred book summaries, then I I don't think that's necessarily the case. Yeah, I definitely agreed. I like how he markets it too. It's um, get lifetime access to part of my brain. Yeah, that's pretty good, isn't it? That's like one thing I've been always thinking about was um. We've yet to kind of give ourselves an extended... I know like the iPhone is supposed to act as an extended brain, but it's not really an extended brain. But it, it's very attractive. I'm giving you lifetime access to my book notes. If you went and bought all of these books, you pay around $3,000. Then you spend three to six hours reading each book, one to two hours taking notes on them. Now take anywhere from 800 to 1,600 hours to recreate this. Almost an entire year of work. It's definitely compelling. Yeah, and, and he even says, I'm eventually going to sell this for $100 once the list passes 300 books. So, so there's also a sense of scarcity there. But uh, yeah, I, I think it, yeah, I think it's compelling. And that's why he's selling a fair amount of this, right? Yeah, agreed. All right, so what do we have next up? Yeah, and then um, I think the last thing that we probably want to chat here for like these really simple business ideas, these really simple product ideas, I guess you could say, um, is templates and i think there's a lot of different templates being sold on the internet and some are like fancy mock-ups of like um, magazines and things like that that require pretty sophisticated graphic design skills but then some are like really simple spreadsheets or 
I think you were mentioning when we were chatting before recording this that um, there's people selling like journal sort of pages as templates, right? Yeah. Um, I was thinking like PDF templates of uh, note-taking journals, like productivity tools that you can print out for yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I've seen some of those two words. Like, it's essentially like a piece of paper that says the date, and then it's got a bunch of different columns. Like, what am I grateful for? What am I going to do today? What am I going to do tomorrow? What is the priority for today? And and it's all kind of like slight variation on the same theme, I'd say, in, in kind of the productivity template space. But um, yeah, I, I think those are a great example of something that's really simple to create and then that you can focus on selling, right? Yeah. And it's ultimately all it literally is, is a PDF. Um, you might need some basic design skills. Sometimes you don't, you just need to put words on a page and that's it. You know, daily affirmations or what am I grateful for today? It's like, that's as simple as you can get if, in terms of selling online products. Yeah. And I also seen uh, people selling some like personal finance, Excel templates and things like that, or, or Notions, a popular tool for like productivity. And there's people selling templates for that. I think you shared an Excel or a Google Doc with me earlier on, was it either taxes or expenses of some sort? It was something accounting related. Yeah, it was like a tax simulation spreadsheet yeah. for, for the Japanese tax. Yeah, and you could technically go ahead and sell that. If, yeah, I could you know. probably try if, if I had the audience that's interested in that. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think that's a great example of, um, again, it's something that I created for myself, but it's something that anybody else that's looking to figure out how much taxes they will have to pay at the end of the year can use right because because it's, yeah. it's just a template you can just fill it out and you, it just spits out a number and, and there's so, people probably there's probably people that would pay like 10 bucks for it 15 bucks for it or something yeah because it it saves them time from figuring it out essentially you did the work for them all they do is plug in the numbers and they get you know whatever they need to get they they learn how much they have to pay um i think any you know like any beginner business owner would be like yeah it's a hell yes if it's 10 bucks i'll pay for it yeah, and I think there's two types of people. There's people that are like, oh, $10 for like an Excel file. That's so much money. And then there's people like, oh, yeah, it's a steal. It's like the, the part that the, it's so much money people miss is like, it would take you like an hour to recreate or, or two hours to recreate, right? Yeah. And like in, in that case, unless you're making less than $10, $15 per hour, it just makes more sense to buy it unless you enjoy making it. I think you said it quite well earlier when you said, you know, there are different kinds of people. Like one will look at it as, oh, that's 10 bucks for an Excel file where someone else is like, yeah, I want that. It makes makes me think back. This is unrelated, but I remember years back, I posted up a Facebook comment, not a comment, the post status update was basically, you know, should I get a personal trainer? And there, there were quite a bit of comments saying, no, don't do it. Why spend the money when you can just look up the exercises by yourself and do them all? Yeah, there's. I think that's the same with pretty much anything that's available on Google nowadays, right? It's like, why go to university if you can learn everything on Google for free? Why do why pay for this if you can find it on Google for free? It's because sometimes paying is just simpler. It saves you time and, and effort and frustration, right? Exactly. And you get to tap into someone that's a little more smarter than you that knows what to do rather than like, I mean, there's the whole issue of, you know, for example, if you're trying to do your own taxes, you could either do it yourself and you could go like four hours or five hours down the wrong path and do things wrong. For example, in the case of taxes, you have to collect your numbers, you have to, I don't know, get a template of a tax form, you have to figure out things out, you have to add things up. And you might go down the wrong avenue and start calculating the wrong things because you have no one looking over your shoulder. Whereas if you have someone with you 
that's over reviewing your work or at least provides you with the right template, you can kind of skip the mistakes. And it's a similar case with um, having a trainer, for example. You can go ahead and look up all of these exercises online and go in and try and do them. But first, maybe you won't do enough of them. Second, maybe you'll do bad form. Third, you might get injured. And you're doing that for what? Just to save a, a couple of bucks? Yeah. And, and, and four, you get an accountability partner, right? It's like you, you can make a deal with, with Google that you're going to show up tomorrow and actually exercise. Whereas if you have a personal trainer and you set a time with him, then yeah. then it's pretty hard to skip on <laughs> to skip on your practice, right? Yeah. So, so I think... Yeah, I think I think oftentimes people kind of stop their reasoning at the shallowest level, at, at the yeah. very first level of, of the reasoning. Yeah. And it kind of seems to make sense. Like, why pay for a trainer when I can find the exact same thing on Google? Or why pay $50,000 for university when I can find the exact same thing on Google? Yeah. But then once you start digging deeper, you realize it's not as simple of a decision as which one is more expensive and which one is free. Yeah. So I think that also goes back to, you know, paying... 15 bucks for a template, you know, someone might be like, why would I pay that for a file? Or someone else is like, you know, yeah, that makes all the sense. If this is going to make my life easier, if I can get my finances in order by plugging numbers in here, that's already been kind of curated by someone smarter than me, then it makes all the difference in the world. Exactly. And I think I go, I approach, um, I, I approach books, buying books and buying courses with a similar kind of mentality and products to some extent. Like if there's something that'll give me an extra edge, like, I'm not looking for revolutionary, like, like this book will change your life forever. But if I find like a piece of marketing advice or copywriting advice in one book that I haven't thought of yet, or if something, or if another book presents a certain co copywriting tactic to me in a little different way, and I started seeing it in a new way, then I think it's worth the money. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, yeah, when you're a beginner, there's the value in the fact that um, it's all presented in like a structured way, and it kind of takes you step by step through the things. And I think if you already have a business running, or if you're like a copywriter that's been doing it for years then even if you can find just like one golden nugget like one idea that you haven't thought of yeah and then you can take that idea and implement it and turn it into money or whatever result it is that you're looking for then um th then it's well worth it yeah agreed and, and it's always just an roi decision sir. yeah and so guys if you like keishi if you've created your own templates of sorts to help yourself out um and you might think someone might not buy that chances are you know there is definitely a demographic of people that will find this useful. And of course, there will be other people that think like, oh, who pays for this stuff? Well, you know, there is always an audience for a nice template, whether it's a PDF document or an Excel file. I know I paid for an uh, Excel file from a nutritionist on how to come up with a meal plan for myself. And I think it's well worth the money. Yeah, I think as long as it gives you value. And, and sometimes you're going to miss. Sometimes... You're going to spend money on something that you find is not as valuable for you. But as yeah. long as the product is not a complete um, not a complete disaster, then it's probably valuable for somebody else that's in a slightly different situation. So, yeah, so, so I guess the main takeaway is um, you can have something really simple, ideally something that you're already doing or something that you already have, something that you created for yourself that um, somebody else will find useful. Right? So, Keishi, here's a question for you. Are you ready? Yep. With all the assets that you have right now, and by assets, I mean like your websites and your audience, what kind of simple product can you put out? Whether it's a template, it's a PDF, it's an Excel file, it's a newsletter, it's a collection of notes, it's an outline of a system of how to deal with, um, for example, freelancers. 
yeah, I think one thing that comes to my mind is um, I still don't have the audience built up for my personal blog, but um, like a Notion template. I, so, I, so I use Notion for managing my writers and um, my editor and my assistant and stuff like that to get my to keep my um, content side operation running. Mm-hmm. And I think taking that that structure that I use, those templates, those database templates, and, and selling them as the Notion for bloggers kind of system. Um, mm-hmm would probably be one thing that I could package into a product out of the things that I already use. Yeah. I remember also your logbook. I think that's a brilliant example of a super simple product. Yeah, that, that's a simple product, simple idea as well. Um, other thing that comes to my mind is like, again, going back to my blogging business is like, I have a bunch of different like um, article templates and standard operating procedures about how to do things and how to write things and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm sure that's something packageable as well. Yeah. Now, now let me ask you, how about you? What, what, uh, that's a great question. Uh, well, I guess in in regards to language learning, um, probably like a productivity, some sort of productivity tool, whether it's like a calendar of sorts. Because of, like the thing with language is that you got to stick with it. Like instead of offering a tool, like a language learning tool, like something that will help you stick with it. Like yeah. again. Uh, go, my mind goes back to the pretty big calendar that I had. The whole goal of the pretty big calendar was to like uh, keep going and cross every day out. Yeah. And if you could have something like that for language, I think that's an easy start. Yeah, that sounds good. And, and I love how you said great question because it's your question. <laughs> yeah, well, because well, it's, it's, it's a great question because it's like I, I, I didn't expect to get it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, it means that I have to kind of dig deep into my brain reserves and see what I have. Exactly. But, but yeah, I, I think Every, or, or maybe you could even create like some training plan or something. You go to a gym a lot or yeah, or uh, yeah, anything related to language, anything related to copywriting. Or fitness. And, but... Yeah. And, and, and again, I think that just goes to show that everybody has something that's, that's sellable. It's just a matter of packaging it and just a matter of, um, of finding the audience. And that's what I think that um, Ned Eliasson did great with the brain mm-hmm. and what... Um, what Hero did great with just like a really simple concept and solving a really big problem. Yeah. And that's what I think pretty much um, anybody that wants to do can do it as long as they are willing to put in the time because it still takes time even if it's simple. Yeah. And I think the other thing is to have, I guess, depending on which word you want to use, it's either the confidence or the audacity because some, again, some people will continue thinking that this is not something that should be sold or this can be sold or maybe... Depending on how you want to word it, it's whether it's it's either audacity or confidence. Again, some people I think are either undervaluing their work and ability, or they just can't see someone paying for it. And you kind of got to have that, like, yeah, let me try it out anyway. Yeah, because exactly. there, are, I'm sure there are things that I'm not thinking of, and the only the only reason I'm not thinking of them is because I think they're not worth selling, or I think someone's not gonna see any value in it. But I could also be very, very wrong there. Yeah, and, and just to close this off, I think the worst thing that can happen is nobody buys the thing. Yeah. And, and if it's a thing that you already had anyways, then like who cares if nobody buys it? Move on to the next thing. Yeah. But, but maybe maybe people will buy it and maybe it will turn into like a nice steady stream of revenue for you, like it did with the brain that yeah. brings in like at least $500 a month or or maybe it will turn into your best product. You never know. Yeah. I mean, the brain is very impressive. It's like the, the guy just monetized his reading habits. <laughs> Yeah, I think that, that that's the genius part of it. Yeah. It's doing almost no extra work on top of what he'd be doing anyways. Yeah, it's like if I'm going to the gym, well, I'm not, but if I was going to the gym, it was like, 
how can I monetize this? And probably one way to monetize this would be someone to tag along with a camera and videotape it and then sell, I don't know, training videos or something, or at least post them up on YouTube. But that's like a, that, I guess that's how you could monetize or turn it into something else, like turn your hobby into something else. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Side Hustles and Stuff podcast. This was episode 16. By the way, all the simple businesses that we talked about, you can find them inside the show notes for this podcast. So be sure to go to sidehustlesandstuff.com. That's, a f- again, spell it out again, sidehustlesandstuff.com forward slash E16 and get the links for all the simple businesses that we talked about today, whether it's help a reporter out, the brain, the hustle newsletter, or the Osama Bin Laden t-shirt. <laughs> and if you do want to start your own side hustle, we also recommend Bluehost. You'll find the link for Bluehost, again, in the notes for this podcast. Bluehost helps you set up your own website, put your project out into the world. So if you have an idea that you wanted to put out, whether it's just like a super simple newsletter or some sort of PDF or a simple t-shirt, a website is probably what you will need to develop an audience, to retain an audience, and to actually sell your product. So again, visit the show notes for everything that we talked about today, and uh, we'll see you next time. This has been the Side Hustles and Stuff Podcast with Keishi and Yuri. Talk to you later. Later. And I guess it's blooper time now, right? I think so. All right. Here we go. Is hell a kid-friendly word? I think so. Okay. Hell, 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 hell. Anyway. Here's the a little. No, I, I turned off my mic. Like when you talk, I turn off my mic because I think it's also like my mic captures it because my speakers are so loud. And then I start speaking and then I realize my mic is off. You know, they'll have doubts about it. Like they'll be like, I just dropped a can. Whoops. Did you hear that? Yeah. My coffee can fell down. Not a coffee can, the, the cap. This has been the Side Hustles and Stuff podcast with Keishi and Yuri.